You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Today we're having an episode that's a little different from the ones that I typically host. It's an episode where we're going to talk about cooking, cooking waterfowl. Maybe we will touch on some other types of wild game, but uh, we're not not going to be having as a guest necessarily a professional chef as we have had on some previous episodes, which I think makes this one particularly exciting. Our guest today is Jean-Michel Devink, uh, the manager of National Conservation Planning for Ducks Unlimited Canada. Jean-Michel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. And uh, yeah, you, you got the pronunciation of my name spot on. So so thanks for that. Um, it, I typically go by, by GM for folks if it's easier than that. So um, thanks for having me on. This is an idea that, that you actually brought to me I guess maybe a year ago. Let me look at the date on this. Yeah, it was a was October of last year. Sometimes it takes a while for us to to take to to take these ideas from to to take these episodes from idea to implementation, and this is one of those. But we're gonna make it happen. So appreciate that. And it's one where you reached out and said, "Hey, I've I would I've been listening to the podcast, and I think there's an opportunity for us to talk about." cooking wild game waterfowl from somewhat of a different approach and maybe from the approach of someone who wasn't professionally trained in in the culinary skills and so so one of the first things that we'll do before we get into the actual discussion and we always do this with our new guests is to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our audience and let's do this kind of from a personal and professional background tell us about yourself jm sure thanks mike so 
Uh, I grew up on the east coast of Canada, New Brunswick. Um, you know, as you as you properly drive from my name, French and and Dutch background, and and uh, my mother would be um, you know the, from the Acadian people in in uh, eastern Canada, and we like to consider ourselves as sort of the the original Cajuns because a lot of the Cajun uh, descendants and, and populations actually came from eastern Canada from back in the 1700s. So. I love being down in Louisiana and that part of the world and and kind of connecting with uh, connecting with with those uh, with with people with similar backgrounds. But so I grew up in eastern Canada, um, moved to the prairies in 2003 to do my grad studies uh, on waterfowl and waterfowl ecology, particularly up in the boreal forest under uh, under Bob Clark and I. Uh, you know, I've always been passionate about waterfowl, and from a, from a young age, even though it wasn't necessarily something that was a tradition within my family, I I, I picked it up, and and uh, that passion kind of drove me to to moving out here to Saskatchewan and following grad studies. You know, I bounced around a little bit, went back to the East Coast, and and uh, did some work there, but felt I needed to be back in Saskatchewan, and so. Moved back here in 2010 and and uh, never looked back. So it's um, yeah, it's it, my my background professionally is in waterfowl environmental management stuff. It's it's something that I'm really passionate about. And and as you mentioned, I you know I don't have any formal training in 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 cooking per se, but you know my my love of I just love food and and uh, kind of took it from the approach where I. Um, you know, had to had to cook for myself from the from the age of about twenty when I moved out, and and uh, and just wanted to explore and see see what I could do with that. So, when we talked about this, began preparing for this episode a few days ago, you mentioned the idea of of viewing this as sort of a grassroots journey to cooking waterfowl, cooking wild game, and that appeals to me, and I hope it appeals to a lot of our listeners because. That's probably the the way most of them have have approached it or are trying to approach their experience in learning how to cook wild game, experimenting with new recipes. And so this is an opportunity for us to perhaps accelerate some of their learning, some of what they're doing, give them some different ideas. This is an opportunity to uh, to steal some of your thoughts, to steal some of what you've learned over the years and for people to apply. So to start with JM, Let's. Uh, I guess I'll just let you tell the story of of the different cultural influences through the years that you have experienced and how those have quote flavored the type of recipes that you've tried, the type of recipes that you've come to uh, to prefer. Just kind of give us that background on how you how you went down this road of, of learning and trying different things and, and where you are now with regard to the way you cook your wild game. Yeah, that's uh, you know, that's a great question. And, and I, and I like the idea of, you know, the grassroots approach to, to, to cooking wild game, because, you know, unlike some folks that might have the, uh, the history of waterfowling and, and cooking waterfowl within their families and, you know, the, the tradition of passing down some great recipes on how to cook, wild game and waterfowl down through the family. I think there's, there's probably quite a few folks like myself that kind of are first generation waterfowlers really passionate about it. And, uh, and then they're stuck with, okay, well, you know, how do I make this taste really good? Because growing up the recipes that 
that we had at home were, you know, traditional Acadian recipes, but you know, your your average kind of um, blend of different types of recipes, lasagnas and stuff like that. So, so I mean, with from that perspective, it was always cooked with your standard farm raised meats, and and so when I got into you know more waterfowling and and hunting wild game, it was it really challenged me with how can I take those types of recipes and and um, and replace and substitute those the farm raised meats with with wild meat and and um, and maximize kind of those recipes because I think you know wild meat and, and farm raised meat are obviously very different and and it takes a slightly different approach so getting back to your your comment about you know the side of of, of it really is a you know, chemistry in a sense. You have to look at it from the perspective of what is the right approach to addressing that particular ingredient. And, uh, you know, so there's there's different aspects of flavor. There's different aspects of texture, um, the, the, the structure of it. So the graininess of the meat, um, the fat content within it, it's, it's all going to be a little bit different. And so you need to kind of look at it from a, from a problem-solving perspective, to say how can I make that you know really shine, and and what's the best approach to it? So, JM, which of those differences do you consider to be the greatest? Whenever you talk about and their implication, the greatest when you talk about you know the farm-raised, domesticated sources of meat, and then wild sources of meat. Of those differences, which is the greatest and has the most impact on the different approaches that a person might take? Well, from I guess from my perspective, I, I don't know if there is one greatest. I think texture um, and also the flavors are are probably some of the more challenging things to 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 address. And and so you know, from the perspective, I don't know how many how many of your listeners have ever run across a situation where you know they're preparing a a recipe with a duck and they've got you know some folks that they're having over for supper and you mentioned that you're having, you're cooking duck for supper and you'll often get, Oh, I love duck, but yeah. you know, their version of duck is that firm raised mallard that, you know, waddles around and, and picks up the grain. And so it's, it's generally going to be, you know, a slightly different texture because these aren't birds that are flying around. And it's going to be a slightly different flavor based on the food they're eating. So I think there's a little bit of both to overcome. One of the challenges that I think, you know, it needs particular attention is is the flavor and you know the the saying you are what you eat what you eat is is really true and, and I mean part of you know what I studied was looking at isotopic signatures so you know being able to find tracers of of the specific foods that individual birds ate and tracing it back to what proportion of say bugs or what proportion of of plants and and uh, and where those you know those foods came from in the individual bird, it, it you know it rung true that that truly is that saying is very, very true. You are what you eat, and so you've got some birds that you know you depending on what they're eating are going to taste very different. And uh, you know a mallard, for instance, fairly early in the season up here in Canada is going to taste very different from a mallard later on in the season after it's been feeding on grain for a long time. Because uh, that bird early on in the season has probably been focusing on bugs to build up that protein, and so you know you get a very different flavor profile there, and and you might need to address it a little bit differently um, to make it taste good. So 
That's that's a challenge um, from from the texture perspective. You know, wild meat. I think you know there's a, there's generally there's a number of different kind of trains of thought in terms of how to cook wild meat, but for the most part, it's it's usually about a level of doneness less than you would with farm raised meat. So if you like your steak medium rare, you're probably going to want to cook your wild meat more on the rare side, right? Because it doesn't have that fat content. And so that 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 creates the, a bit more toughness in the meat. So again, it, it comes down to personal preferences, which, well, everyone is unique, but, but those are some general rules of thumb. As we talk of this as a grassroots journey from your youth into your adulthood and now where you where you're investing a little more time in in experimenting with additional recipes. You're, you've described to me some some of the shows and some of the uh, maybe some of the reference materials that you're using uh, to inform the new ways that you're cooking now. From a journey perspective, what were some of the most popular, most common ways in which you first started cooking wild game, and and how did how did that evolve? You know, what, what probably grilling, some type of simple grilling technique, but I'm just kind of curious about that, about this literal journey, the simple recipes that you began with, and then how you began, then how you transitioned to other recipes, types of recipes. Sure. So I'm going to, I'm going to kill two birds with one, with one shot um, in, in addressing that question, but also addressing a question I think we might end up on about, uh, you know, what, what's a great recipe to introduce folks to as well? And and so getting back to, you know, some of the things I first started cooking. I mean, one of my first jobs, like so many people, was working at a McDonald's in uh, in New Brunswick. And I remember one of my favorite things to eat there and, and also to, to prepare were fajitas. And you could, I mean, at you know, McDonald's? super simple. At, at fajitas at McDonald's? Yeah. Well, New Brunswick anyway. <laughs> okay. I had to make sure I was listening correctly. Sorry to interrupt you there, but I had to, <laughs> no I had to now, double now, check. This was this was 27 years ago, of course. Okay. So. <laughs> Special but menu. But it might have been their, their attempt at <laughs> diversifying the menu a little yeah. bit. But but yeah no it was it was a short term thing that they offered and it was you know super simple super easy you know just grilled meat with seasoning um, some some cheese some some vegetables and uh, in a tortilla and away you go and when when I first started cooking uh, wild game again like a lot of my family wasn't used to eating wild meat and. And uh, and my girlfriend at the time and her family weren't used to eating wild meat, so it was it was always a challenge trying to find ways to cook this stuff that other people enjoyed and and wanted to eat. Right? It wasn't it wasn't just them being polite and and uh, and suffering through it. So, and at the same time, you know, going to university, you're always trying to to find food and and ways to cook stuff that you can pack and and take with you and and that are super super quick and and uh, and simple to prepare and. And so cooking fajitas was um, was something that I just started trying, and and it was it was great because a lot of the ducks that you know we were I was shooting in, in New Brunswick were you know not necessarily mallards, um, a whole bunch of different stuff, including like golden eyes, and you know I think I might have put a, a, a few hooded mergansers into some fajitas and, and a few other things that you know some people probably would pass on. Um, but again, I was a new waterfowl hunter and it was just like every, every species was new to me. So it, it seemed pretty cool. And, 
And I kind of approached it from the perspective of, you know, I wonder what that tastes like, <laughs> which I continue to do even today. But, I, you know, taking those birds and then and then being able to just you know, process them and put them into a recipe that that seemed to, to neutralize any difference in flavor uh, made everything taste pretty much the same um, and, and still taste really good. And, uh, and so that was one of the, one of the real, you know, the trigger point recipes that I thought, you know what, there's, there's a way to make, make anything taste good. And, um, and, and it worked and it just worked. So, I mean, that, that recipe is relatively simple. You just, you know, you, you slice the breasts and I've even put some, some thigh meat into them, uh, sauteed with, I like to use about, a you know, uh, two thirds, uh, chili powder to one third garlic salt blend, you know, saute the meat and and sprinkle that on until they're they're just cooked um otherwise they get a bit a uh, bit tough you saute some some onions and some bell peppers and then uh, throw it into a tortilla with some some grated cheddar and you know some people like to add a little bit of salsa or a little bit of sour cream but um you know you got to eat those right away because it makes things pretty soggy but you know the the simple four ingredients is um is just fantastic you can wrap them up in some cellophane and and uh, put them in the fridge and you got some meals to go. So, so JM, I want to ask you a specific question on this because we, we do fajitas a fair bit at our house and I don't know that we've ever used waterfowl. We've certainly used venison. Do, and, and so we, we talk often about the importance of not overcooking waterfowl or any wild game. So what is the approach that you use here? And I, I know you wait the way you described it there where you, you slice the breast and you cook them and then you said you cook the, the vegetables. Is that the order in which? You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. You do it, and so then once the... Uh, and, and then... Uh, let me just stop there. Is that the order in which you do it? And then how do you keep from overcooking the breast? Do you take them out of the pan 
after they're done and then you combine everything with the seasoning? What's the order of operation here? Yeah, well, that's 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 a key question, I think, to to succeed in 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 recipes that can otherwise fail. And and the way I do it is, yeah, I've got if I'm if I'm able to, so I'm if I'm cooking at home, I've got two separate pans. So I've got one for the meat and I've got one for the vegetables. Um, in this recipe, I I even separate my onions and my bell peppers um, because uh, you know getting back to that. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to get to this, but the amount of heat and how long you cook stuff um, is going to be different for every ingredient. Sometimes you can combine them, but sometimes they need to be separated to really kind of optimize, right? To, to, to hit the right amount of doneness or, or the right approach to cooking. So onions, uh, I like to start them hot and then and then turn it down so that they basically just brown and caramelize. If I if I cook my my bell peppers the same way as I cook my onions, um, they're, you know, the bell peppers are going to burn a bit more and there's a way to, there's a way to do it. And, and you can get a pretty decent outcome for, you know, cooking bell peppers and onions together. Um, but the onions aren't going to be nearly as caramelized and, and, and I find the bell peppers are going to be maybe a little bit or overcooked. So I like to, personally, I like to separate the meat if I'm cooking at home and then I'll have a separate pan for my meat because, um, the meat isn't going to take nearly as long to cook. Uh, I'm going to probably cook it a little bit hotter uh, in some in some butter or some oil, depending on what your preference is. And so I need to separate those because if you just throw everything into the same pan and apply the same you know heat and the same amount of time to it, then it's well, you'll get food, but it's going to be different. <laughs> And then where do the seasonings go? In with the vegetables? You combine all the vegetables kind of at the end? I'm asking you some specific questions because we're kind of laying out a recipe here and I want people to be able to take something from this. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I, I apply my uh, the seasoning to the meat. So I, I like to use butter. So I'll cook it in butter and you've got a little bit of the, you know, the butter left in the pan as you're, as you're sauteing your meat. And I really only cook my meat to sort of a, a medium rare um, texture. And then I apply the seasoning after the meat is pretty much cooked. That's when I put the seasoning into the pan. Otherwise, you're going to end up burning the seasoning. And uh, and I'll just stir that around. And that seasoning with a little bit of butter, it coats right to your meat. And and then what you have is the meat has, you know, the meat carries that seasoning flavor. And so, um, you know, if especially if you're trying to hide a bit of the flavor, and you know, I've I've used this recipe to cook uh, common eiders, so sea ducks on the east coast, and you know, some people can't stand eating them. I I absolutely love them, and this is a great recipe for them. So it, it helps to hide a little bit of that flavor, um, but uh, but then you also have the contrast as you take a bite of that of of that fajita, you have a real clear contrast between the salty, flavorful meat, and then the sweetness of the caramelized onions and peppers. And then you've got the, the texture of your grated cheese. So it's, it's, it's kind of separating those things and then putting them together that really kind of gives you that flavor, that nice kind of sweet and salty flavor profile that, that just works so well. So with the fajitas in mind as, a, as an easy recipe for introducing people to, to wild game, waterfowl in this case, where did you, where would you go next? Like along your journey, what were some, how quickly did you get into more elaborate recipes? Did that take some time? Just kind of take us to the next step or two along your journey. What did you begin to experiment with? From there, I guess 
one of the things that I that I really wanted to try to do was was to be able to take wild game, so waterfowl and and, and other things as well, um, and you know find a way to to convert more of the traditional recipes that I grew up with um, to to be able to fit those in and and to and to make very similar recipes using using wild meat. Because you know, there's 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 a comfort to having that you know those family recipes or that comfort food that you're so used to, um, and if you're like me and you know you you feed your family 95 percent on wild meat and fish, then um, you know you you got to find a way to make that work. So some of the other recipes that I started to work with and and get into were more of the the, the traditional Acadian recipes and. And uh, you know, given the holidays coming up, you know, one of the one of the traditional holiday foods that that we had in um, in Acadian culture is called um, uh, tortillar. So it's it's basically a meat pie. Depending on what part of you know Eastern Canada you come from, meat pies are made differently. It's kind of like you know barbecue down in the U.S. It depends if you're in Texas or louisiana or on the east coast and and uh, everyone's got their own way of making barbecue but everyone on the east coast of canada has a different way of making their uh, their tortilla or meat pie and the way my mother always did it was you know with either turkey or chicken or sometimes pork but mixed with potatoes mashed potatoes some seasoning some onions and um and then basically put in a pie shell and and baked and so you know it's something that I always really loved uh, at Christmas time growing up. So I wanted to try to figure out how to do that with with wild game and um, particularly waterfowl. And I found that it's it's uh, it's pretty easy to do. Um, but again, because waterfowl tend to have a slightly stronger flavor than you know your traditional white meats like turkey chicken and, and pork, you know, putting it in with a bunch of potatoes, well you're you're gonna really taste the the, the wild meat flavor in it. So I started looking at, okay, well, what else can I pair it with that'll complement that meat, but that doesn't easily get overpowered. And, and so I started looking at, you know, using a little bit of rutabaga and, and, and turnip and putting in some carrots and, and, and uh, different types of onions and stuff in there. And so that, that mix, so that combination actually turned out to be really nice because the flavors were really complementary. And uh, and so developed a a way to go about that recipe, but um, but using wild meat. JM, is that because the the flavors of the rutabagas and uh, the turnips is that more robust flavor, and it it pairs yeah. well with the with the stronger sometimes stronger stronger flavor of the of the waterfowl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, it's 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 kind of like. You know, when you're pairing a wine with your meal, right? White wines tend to go with seafood and, you know, white meats because they're, they're, the flavor, there's nice flavors, but it's not nearly as strong as a, as a red meat, which is better off with a red wine. So the, the robustness of what you're pairing, they, it needs to balance or else you're going to end up with just one dominant flavor and you're not going to get anything from the rest of it. And so, yeah, the, the the rutabaga, which I prefer myself over turnip, but rutabagas have a um, you know a similar kind of texture to potato, but they've got a lot more robustness to the flavor, which which you know can can pair well with the wild game flavors. Now you mentioned kind of holiday season and how wild game 
that, that was a recipe for, for wild game or I guess a traditional holiday recipe for your family and then you adapted it to so that you could use wild game in it. Does How prominent is wild game at your holiday table, whether we're talking about Thanksgiving or Christmas or any other kind of, of holiday? It's absolutely dominant at, at our table. Um, I mean, even even at Thanksgiving, which, you know, for, for those listeners that aren't aware, uh, Canadian Thanksgiving is usually the second week in October, unlike yours, which is later in November. And so, you know, second weekend of October up here coincides really well with sort of, you know, the, our, our waterfowl season and, and, uh, and goose hunting. And so, uh, a nice plucked roasted Canada goose for, for Thanksgiving dinner or, or white front, if we're lucky to get, get one that, you know, that's worthy of, of roasting is, uh, is usually our go-to. So around the holidays, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild meat, but it, it's also wild meat most of the time through the year anyway. JM, as we talked about the fajitas, the fajita recipe, you mentioned that the the part of the of the duck that's involved in that is the breast. There's obviously more meat on a duck than that, especially when you roast a duck, you get the in, uh, meat from the entire roasted carcass. But increasingly, you're seeing some recipes out there that involve the the use of legs of the ducks or geese that that we harvest. What's your favorite way to prepare those? I know you've you've told me about this before that you like them. They're in some of your favorite cuts of meat from a duck or a goose, but what's your favorite way of preparing that? I, I have to say, I mean, you know, shout out to my youngest son Sebastian. His his the his favorite part of of a goose is definitely the legs. Um and and you're right. I mean, you know, roasting a bird is you get you get everything, and you know you can even take the rest of the carcass and turn it into a soup if you want afterwards. But but I like to take the the legs of of uh, my geese, uh, trains, and ducks. Uh, a little harder with your you know your teal because they're somewhat small, but they're still you know equally applicable. But um, I like to put them in a slow cooker, and I'll you know add some water, some sliced onions. Uh, a little summer savory, uh, some salt, some pepper, and uh, some you know some some bouillon uh, or or broth of some kind, and uh, just you know cover them up in that, and put them on low for seven eight hours. And the key with the legs though is especially when it comes to ducks and geese, uh, or waterfowl or wild birds in general is is how long you cook them. And you just, you need to cross that threshold. I've tried it where, you know, I've been in a rush and I've thrown it in and, you know, I've cooked them for five hours and came back and sat down for supper and and they are as tough as nails. And, it, you know, fastest way to turn off anyone to, to eating legs is is to undercook them. Um, but once you cross that six, seven hours, and it depends on individual slow cookers, but once you cross the six, seven hours, they turn, they just fall off the bone. They are so tender and absolutely fantastic. JM, I've encountered that same issue. I don't know that it's necessarily been with duck or goose legs where I thought I started the slow cooker early enough, but it turns out I didn't. What has your, been your experience in the ability to speed that up? Like if you get to that five-hour mark and you go try them and they're still tough as nails, can you increase the heat and maybe speed that up or is that ruining the whole thing? What's been your, what do you know and what's been your experience there? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a challenge. Um, I've, I haven't yet found a way around that. You know, to be honest, I, when, when Scott Stevens was over this fall and, and we did a little bit of crane hunting and, and I threw some crane thighs in, in the slow cooker and, 
you know, I thought I'd cooked them long enough and I was trying a, a new recipe and well, they were, they were tough. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassingly so actually. And, and, and I've tried that same approach. I was making kind of a honey curry, uh, crane thighs. And I've tried it since and cooked it a little bit longer and it worked. And I've tried the approach of speeding it up by making it hotter, but mm -hmm. that's the problem with wild meat is that you just don't have as much fat content and it can't take, I don't find that it can really take the heat for longer because it dries it out. Mm. And so that's, that's been my experience. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm no professional, but you know, if someone, if someone writes in the comments that they've got a way around it, I'd love to hear it. So I guess one piece of advice though would be, and I've tried to employ this, if I think it's going to take six hours, I start it at least seven hours in advance. And if it is done prior to that seven hour mark, I can always turn the heat down and keep it at a real low temperature without drying it out, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's, I, I, I guess that's a, that's a, a much better approach to taking it because there's the fail safe that if you do need more time, you can, you can make it happen. But if you were trying to make a seven hour recipe and you only had a five hour window, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, well, let me ask you a question here to begin our closeout. There's a much longer, much more distance on your journey than what we'll be able to cover today. So that just means we're going to have to bring you back to cover some additional recipes and additional stops along your journey. For today, though, for our listeners that may be on this journey and trying new things, trying to improve their culinary skill when it comes to wild game. And I certainly encourage that because wild game, when prepared well, correctly, using good recipes, using good techniques, rivals and, and exceeds the flavor profile and the experience and the rewards of anything that you can buy at a grocery store. And the, just the entire experience from the harvesting, uh, well, from doing what it takes to, to harvest the animal, the harvest itself, preparing, storing, saving, and then the preparation of the recipe. I mean, that entire cycle brings something different that you can't get from the purchase, uh, from simply purchasing meat from the grocery store. So I wholeheartedly encourage people to, to go down their own journey. And hopefully this conversation will help you along that way, speed that up. And so in that vein, JM, what are some important reference manuals, I say manuals, but books, cookbooks or, or recipe books, or any kind of other materials that may be out there today that you have found particularly helpful and that our, our listeners may benefit from? Well, I, th I think you hit the, the nail on the head. And to be honest, I, I see it more and more where, you know, there's there's a huge market now for microbrew beers, right? The the variety and the differences of, of things that we can eat and that we can we can consume you know, people are looking for, for variety. People are looking for things that are different. And so I, I agree with you. I, I wholeheartedly encourage everyone to go out and to try, you know, eating wild meat and, and, and cooking it too. It's, you know, it's absolutely fantastic. And that's, that's the thing I love the most is, you know, we can all go out and buy chicken and beef and pork and whatnot, but, and sometimes, you know, I, I absolutely love throwing some ribs on the barbecue, but to be able to to add to that all the diversity of wild meat is just fantastic. So, but to get to your your question, um, which is a really good one, there's there's a there's a lot of great resources out there for for cooking uh, wild meat. I mean, some of the ones that that I that I would probably recommend to someone that's really new 
Uh, there's some new books by Stephen Rinell on on cooking wild game, which is which is fantastic. I really like the series by Hank Shaw. There's one duck duck goose that's that's devoted to waterfowl, and I think you know the recipes in there are fantastic. Um, so I've used those as as ways to to get some ideas on on how to go about cooking wild game. Um, one of the things that I really like to do is. You know, when I go to a restaurant and and I'm looking at the menu for something that's unique or different that I've never tried, I look at it and I kind of think, okay, well, how can I apply that, or how can I apply wild game to this recipe as a substitute, and and see how I could make it work too. So, so there's lots of ways that we can find, um, you know, inspiration to be creative. On the on the fundamental side, um, I recently you know, watched a series on Netflix, and there's a book, a similar book called. Uh, salt, fat, acid, heat, and it, it's it's really unique because it it kind of just boils down um, cooking to its fundamentals and the fundamental approaches and, and principles that make for good food. And you know, my initial thought about you know the title and and the 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 principles is that the the one I think is really missing that's fundamental to cooking wild game is time. So I, I would add that it's you know salt, fat, acid, heat, and time. And it kind of gets back to that question about you had about the legs, where you know you can cook turkey legs pretty quickly, but a goose leg's gonna take you twice as long. Same temperature, same everything else, but it's time is the variable that you need to adjust. So that those are some fantastic reference references that you mentioned there. I have a couple of those. I have not watched the series that you that you talked about there at the end. I'll certainly have to do that. What other kind of concluding piece of advice would you provide to our listeners that that are wanting to to get better at cooking wild game and introducing other folks to it as well? Well, I guess the only advice that I would that I would give anyone is, you know, is just to give it a shot, right? I mean, you know, one of the inspira- inspirational uh, comments my father gave me as I started to explore this was that, you know, the culinary arts, which really are a form of art, are are unique where, you know, if you mess it up, it's gone an hour later, right? And you get to start over the next day. So, you know, unlike a mural on the side of a building, you know, if you, if you mess up a recipe, well, so be it. You get to try it differently tomorrow, so... Just get out there and give it a try and and uh, and see what you can do and share it too. Yeah, that that last part is a great uh, great thing to add. Thank you for doing so, JM. I'll also thank you for your time here today. It's been I, I've enjoyed this a great deal, and I hope our listeners do too. The way we thought about this, a grassroots journey to becoming a a, a better cook, a more experienced, a more skilled cook of wild game, I think will probably resonate with many people. And because of all the references that are out there today, I think a lot of this is, it, it probably feels a bit more accessible to folks. And that's a good thing. We have a lot of other questions that that we could ask you and that we'll want to talk to you about at some point in the future. I know you've shared some ideas about uh, about what else we could talk about, some of the underutilized parts of ducks and geese and other uh, other species of birds. Why do we see differences in uh, in the in the flavor profile across different species of waterfowl, and then beyond waterfowl as well? Even when we talk about some of the 
short distance flyers, some of the non-migrant birds, such as our, our upland game birds, the, the light meat versus dark meat, the sort of scientific physiological basis behind some of those differences. I think our audience would, would appreciate learning about that. And then just some other recipes, perhaps some more sophisticated involved recipes. And then side items. I asked you that question when we were preparing for this, like how much time do you invest in sides versus the main course? So a lot of different information that we can bring, uh, a lot of additional information that we can bring to this. And so I hope you'll be willing to come back and join us and do so. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, thank you, JM, for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. A very special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Jean-Michel Devink, Ducks Unlimited Canada's Manager of National Conservation Planning, and also, as he's demonstrated here, a very skilled amateur uh, chef, you might even say. Uh, we appreciate his time and, and sharing a lot of the things that he's learned on his journey. As always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for the wonderful job that he does with these episodes. And to you, the listener, we thank you for, for your time and spending with us and for your support and passion for wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.